Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And tonight, we have one of my favorite follows on Twitter, social media. You know him at, at Hawks Draftner would be Simon Rath. Absolutely fantastic source for any kind of scouting coverage. Obviously, he's a big Atlanta Hawks guy. His Hawks are going against my Philadelphia 76ers right now where we're in the midst of a great playoff battle. But, Simon, how, how are you feeling about your Atlanta Hawks? How are you feeling tonight? You ready to talk some prospects? Oh, I was I was so much better about 30 minutes ago. And then <laughs> this whole DeAndre stuff happened. But, I mean, I'm still I'm still positive about it. Yeah, that was a that was a great game last night. And I will say that the Sixers going down to Atlanta, that's going to be a tough two games. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in the club ATL, I believe they, they call the arena now at this point for, for the Hawks. But yep. yeah, those are going to be two really tough contests, but I'm excited to to watch some more of those games for sure. But on, on this podcast, we've been doing some NBA playoff coverage and we've been kind of doing some quick hits on all those series, obviously given some of our predictions, but we're going to veer back on track a little bit here with some draft talk. And Simon, I'm excited to have you on. I've been saving some of these guys to talk about specifically to have you on because guys like Sharif Cooper, Bones Highland, these are guys that I wasn't necessarily up on that much coming into the year. Obviously, Sharif came into the year um, a little late because of some other things going on off the court. But just in terms of coming into the preseason, I didn't really know a lot about these guys. I didn't know what to expect from them, but you were high on them from the start. So that's why I definitely wanted to have this conversation with you, my friend, being able to have somebody from social media on just to have some of these conversations. That's what we're all about here at Draft Deeper. So without further ado, I want to jump right in. We'll start with Sharif Cooper, the listed at 6'1", 180 pound point guard out of Auburn. Um, Before I kind of give a little bit of my spiel and and, and how I feel about him and, and where I'm at right now, Simon, I just want you to kind of start with what what were you so excited about with Sharif before the year even started? And why did you think that he was going to succeed the way that he did at Auburn? So I watched him in high school and his passing was just beyond elite. Like I thought that like he was a, the Trey Young passer, a LaMelo ball passer, loved the court vision, just, Loved how um, confident he was playing all the time. Um, yeah, I just, I love freaking everything about him. So he definitely proved to be um, a- an impressive scorer and assist man. When you're, when you're talking about 20 points per game and oh, a little over eight assists per game um, in that year for Auburn, again, a short season. He was, didn't even play the entire length of the year. Uh, but he was able to come in and immediately make an impact with that Auburn team. You could just tell the second he stepped on the court, um, he certainly brought a different kind of winning personality because he just made everyone better. And that was absolutely accentuated in the types of passes that he looked to make consistently. Um, what really sets up that passing for me is I, I said it very early on that he probably has the best handle for a college guard that I've seen since Kyrie Irving 
Duke days, go, going that far mm-hmm. back. Like that's how good his handle and his creativity level is off the bounce. And when you combine that with his cerebral passing, his court vision, um, the fact that like Trey Young, I think Trey Young is a very apt comparison for somebody like Sharif. You see Trey Young able to make all of these passes and zip them, and they're on target no matter where they're going. It's very rare that Trey misses a pass. Um, and he and he throws that ball off target. You see that same passing ability with Sharif as well. He's just an incredible setup guy. Obviously, he has some of his weaknesses. You can point to his scoring efficiency. He only shot 39% from the field and 23% from three-point range. And I think those were two of the biggest knocks that I had on him. But the other knock that I really had on him, and I'll let you speak to some of the Simon since you're the big Hawks guy, you're obviously a Trey Young fan and some of that's going to bleed over in the Sharif's evaluation. But when you watch somebody like him, you get concerned a little bit in terms of, so he's a guy who strictly needs the ball in his hands almost at all times. And even more so a little bit than Trey, because Trey's deep shooting range and his ability to, you know, you can send him off screens and, and, and such like Steph Curry, where you can have him shooting off the move and you can find other ways to get him involved in the offense. I think Sharif Cooper's shot's going to improve, and maybe that's something that he can learn how to do down the line, but at least for now, um, you're going to want the ball in his hands to take advantage of his strengths, and you're going to want him to control that offense pretty much full-time. So how do you kind of feel about that evaluation, Simon? Does that give you a little bit of a, a cause to pause at all, or have you seen enough... Um, Trey Young's success with the Atlanta Hawks now to the point where that's not really as much of a concern for you. You're fine putting the keys, uh, giving the keys to Sharif in a role like that if you're drafting him. I mean, I would, I would um, definitely be fine just giving him the keys. Um, his the shooting is not going to be as good as uh, Trey Young, but I like I like that um, he took about five threes uh, per game. So, I mean, the confidence is still there. So I would be much rather have someone shoot 22% and still take them than shoot 30% and just not take them. So the shooting is not really that big of a um, concern for me. I mean, the form is, is not great. I mean, the form is that definitely it needs to be tinkered with, but I mean, he's, I don't think that'll really be too big of the issue. Well, he's definitely has to quicken up his release because yep. he doesn't necessarily get high off the ground when he shoots And jump. Ball. And yeah. jump. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's kind of like a set shooter for a small guard, and that generally doesn't bode well, um, especially when he's going to run into situations like Trey, where we just saw it last night. Somebody like the 76ers are going to throw a bigger defender on on somebody like him if he grabs that much of the defense's attention at some point like if you're having to shoot over somebody who's like 6'9 6'10 or or even like a smaller way like a 6'6 6'7 wing with a longer wingspan you're gonna have to be able to knock those shots down so yeah I agree he's definitely gonna have to tinker with the shooting form a little bit but the 83 percent or almost 83 percent shooting from the free throw line on a heavy volume that was something that jumped out to me and surprised me throughout the season was how creative he was at being able to draw fouls. And it's something that you don't always see in younger guards. That's generally something that's developed a little more when they actually get to the NBA. 
But Sharif's able to do that now. Um, and that definitely adds really good scoring value. And the other thing that he didn't do in his first few games, but he ended up showcasing it more as the season went along, was he does have a floater. Um, and, and, and you and I both know watching Trey Young, how deadly that floater is when he's able to penetrate off the initial screen up top in a pick and roll set. If anybody's playing drop, drop coverage on that, you know that you kind of have to have a floater, especially as a small guard, to be able to score effectively if you're not going to be able to get all the way to the rim. Uh, are you confident in Sharif's floater? you think that's definitely going to be something that's going to translate right away in the league? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, um, his touch is pretty good right now, but over time it'll get uh, better. And a small point guard's the floater is, I would say, the most important shot to have for someone his size. So I think, I do think that'll come along. So in, in terms of like where specifically you would draft him, um, Simon, where, where is he currently at on your board and where would you feel comfortable taking him? Because first for me, it's taken me quite a while to, to get on the, the, the Trey Young bandwagon, if you will. I was not as high on him coming out of college because of a lot of those concerns that I thought he really had to dominate the ball. I didn't really see much off ball value from him, but at the same time, I think I underrated that passing and that playmaking ability to the point where he was going to come and he wasn't just about putting up numbers and jacking up shots. Maybe that's how he was initially as rookie year, trying to just make a name for himself, but you see the evolution this year where he runs that team incredibly well. And I think Sharif's going to be able to step in and kind of have that impact Definitely from day one, how much of the scoring comes along. If he's going to be able to put up 16, 18 points a game in his rookie year, that much remains to be seen. But I definitely think the assists, um, I think he's going to be much better taking care of the ball. His assist to turnover ratio, I think, will be there. And he's going to be a floor general, someone you can trust. So I, I, I'm higher, at least I'm moving higher on Sharif um, than I was with Trey initially coming out of college. But where, where would you feel comfortable taking him? So I have him 10th on my board, but I would probably not draft him 10th. I think he has a high, the long-term upside, but it just all depends on on the team. So New York would be a just awesome fit, in my opinion. Um, Boston would be good because then he's got two wings who can um, cover up for his defense. yeah, I would probably say those two are are my two favorite um, fits right now. Oh, if he slips to Boston, I think I think they That'd would absolutely awesome. they would pull the trigger on it a hundred percent. I think I agree with that because he would. They, I, I know Danny Age isn't the president of basketball operations there anymore, given recent events. But that organization in general seems to like these smaller point guards who just have that innate feel for yep. making others better around them. I mean, you saw them pull the trigger in, in drafting Peyton Pritchard, and mm-hmm. that's actually worked out pretty well for them. I, I had him valued as somebody who definitely wanted to make a priority in the second round, but I didn't have him as like a first-round guy because I didn't know how well he was going to be able to run an offense as a floor general. I knew that he was a, a scoring point guard. He could shoot with deep range. I, I didn't know how he would balance that playmaking to shooting, but – Sharif won't have that problem. He's going to come in and look to make others better first. And yeah, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum next to him, opposite sides of the wing, 
absolutely. He would be a fantastic fit in, in Boston and, and New York as well. That's a great point. about And the Time too. Lord, too. Time Lord covering the paint, Mitchell Robinson. <laughs> I yeah, think but, it's perfect. Yeah, e- yeah, you're right. Either destination, he would have a lob target as well. Um, and that's definitely something that's accentuated Trey Young this year, too, was not only having one lob threat in John Collins, but having another pure center um, with, with definitely the size to be able to come off that initial screen roll and then catch that lob and, and Clint Capella. I think the addition of Clint Capella has definitely taken Trey's game to another level as well. So, yeah, yep. good point. Having somebody like that would be really good for Sharif. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a little surprised that I've come around on him, but watching Trey in the playoffs do what he's doing to some of these defenses really all this entire year, but especially here in the playoffs, um, that level of maturity that he's shown, that poise that we've already seen Sharif have in not, not, not too much more than a handful of college games. I mean, what, what he was able to come in and do on a shortened season, not having a full year to be able to gel with his teammates, but come in like he's been playing with them for years. That that really impressed me and stood out to me. So I, I'm becoming a lot more of a Sharif Cooper fan. I, I think that as we get closer to the draft process, I really feel like somebody's going to take him in the lottery. I don't know who. It, we're, we're all going to have we're gonna have to wait and see in terms of who actually yeah. falls in what order in the draft. But yeah, I, I feel really good about somebody taking a shot on him in, in the lottery. And he will be somebody that I will like revisiting when I end up releasing um, the, the draft deeper tiers for 2021. I think he's going to be in a really good conversation there as well. Um, let's move on to another one of your guys, Bones Highland. Um, I think Simon, you actually have some information to share with my audience um, regarding Bones. Why don't you share that information with us? I do. Um, So I got his um, official uh, measurements. He is 6'4". He's got a uh, 6'10", wingspan, and he is up to... um, Where is it? He is up to 175 pounds, which is up from 158 when he got to uh, college, which is just awesome. And I was told that his goal is to get up to 180 by by the combine. So that would be pretty great if he could do that. And he's got a max vert of 35 feet or 35 um, inches, not feet. So definitely you, you can already tell that he's been working incredibly hard on his body in the off season. He obviously heard the criticism around that, that some people think at his size um, that he wouldn't be able to withstand contact or, or the vigor of the NBA really well. I, I don't necessarily see that as too much of a problem for someone of his ilk. I think he's going to primarily be a perimeter creator and shooter Anyways, I don't necessarily see him taking a ton of guys off the dribble or going to some of those scoring moves around the basket as often as he sort of had to do at times mm-hmm. for VCU. I think a team's going to draft him as more of a shooting specialist. But just knowing that he's putting in the work uh, already to improve upon what others maybe have given him uh, critique on, that that does speak well to me. I love guys who are absolutely putting in the work to get better no matter what the cost, whatever they have to do. And that improved physicality is obviously only going to help him at the next level as long as he's putting on that muscle in the correct way, which I certainly believe that that he is. Being an NBA draft prospect, I I have good confidence that he's getting the right advice and the right strength and conditioning training from the right people. So 
Um, that will that will certainly help his game. But what obviously stands out to everybody about Bones Highland is his incredible shooting range. Like you, you we're talking about someone who pulls up from the logo, right? Like that that's how deep that he's able to convert shots. And what impresses me about those shots the most is that sometimes with shooters, you want to judge their makes based on how that ball actually goes through the rim. Is it clanking mm-hmm. around the rim? Is it a smooth swoosh? How's that ball ultimately falling through the basket? And he, no matter where he's shooting it from, like I never hear that ball clanking around the rim. He is as smooth of a shooter in this draft class as they come. So that's already one skill that we know is going to translate at the next level. Um, Now, is he a pure scorer? That much, I don't know if I necessarily have a full formulated opinion on Simon, but I wanted to get your perspective on that. Um, How much shooter versus scorer do you think that Bones Highland is, since you've been a little higher on him than, than certainly somewhere earlier in this year? How do you kind of view that balance and what do you think his role is going to be at the next level? Um, I think um, currently he's probably just going to be a shooter going into the league. But with him adding the more weight, I think he could definitely be a three-level three level scorer. Um, his – so actually – um, I looked it up, and uh, let me pull this up real quick. Um, last year, he only took um, – he scored 0.87 points per uh, possession around around um, the basket on 41 uh, possessions. And this year, he had 65 uh, possessions, and he scored 1.13 points per possession. So he's gotten much better around the basket. So that's just a great sign for me. Yeah, the other thing that really speaks to me in terms of his potential to become more of a scorer and not just a shooter is how efficient he was in those types of play types. So he was in Mm -hmm. the 96th percentile this year in spot-ups and the 85th percentile in isolation. So if he's able to get somebody on an island, he has enough in his bag where he's able to create separation, shake a guy off the bounce, and still get that shot off. I, I think that... It's, it's very encouraging to see his improvement around the basket. Again, I don't know how much he's going to, to definitely go to that in the NBA, but absolutely being able to score with range from the three-point, that's going to stretch his defender out. And I do think he's quick enough to definitely get around somebody. And if he's able to pull up in the mid-range off of a few dribbles because of how far um, he's able to bring a defender out, then that's going to give a defense a whole a whole nother um, can, can of worms as far as problems. So I, I definitely agree. I, I think that all the tools are there for him to improve and be an efficient scorer, not necessarily just an outside shooter. What gives me a little cause to pause with Highland is that I don't think he's a high-level playmaker for others. Um, I think he's much more of a points specialist and not necessarily a playmaker from one of those backcourt spots. How do you feel about his playmaking, Simon? Do you think I, I, I might be wrong about that point, or do, do you have any encouraging things to point to as far as his playmaking? Um, I mean, I don't think he's um, ever going to be like a four-assist-per-game guy or anything um, like that. But I, do, I also do not um, think he's just going to be some 
know, the ball stopper on um, offense. So he might just get a lot of the hockey um, assists. But yeah, I don't think he's going to be like some top tier uh, passer for a guard. Maybe it's just a little bit of recency bias because I was at the Sixers Hawks game last night and, and I saw that this guy um, have really good contributions towards the end of the game when Doc actually trusted him to put him in. But the more the more I watch Bones Highland when I was going back and watching some film today, he reminds me of Shake Milton. Um, they're obviously not the same size. Uh, yeah. Shake Shake is six six. Bones is is somewhere between six two and six three. But their ability, how they set themselves up for shots, where they look to score from, the type of moves that they have when they do get into the teeth of that defense and penetrate. Highland reminds me so much of Shake Milton. I don't know what you think about that comp. I don't know if you think that's an apt comp, um, Simon. What what kind of comp would you have for somebody like Bones Highland coming into the NBA? So my comp is actually a different sixer. Um, okay. So I was, I was stupid high on this guy uh, last year, um, Isaiah, Isaiah um, Joe. And I think that Bones could be a, I don't, I don't exactly want to say a better Isaiah Joe, but like a more wiggle Isaiah Joe. And I think that's a great comp. They're both they're both about six four, they're both about one eighty, and they both can just the shoot from, you know, the mid court. So I think that would be a the good um, comp. But you know, Shake's also like fantastic. So I, I like that comp too. And and I don't know if I was necessarily out out of where when you say you were really high on him. Where did you have him on your board last year? I think I, I think I had him like early twenties. I think it was okay because I had him. I had him in the late twenties to to thirty, like the back end of yeah. that first round. But I still had him as a first rounder as well. Yeah, and I, I think that in him. time, yeah, he's going to provide value to the Sixers definitely yep. at, at some point. Or if he ends up on another team, things don't necessarily work out in Philly because they have you know a more tightened rotation. You can say in, in heavy quotations because Doc has still been going to that. Plenty of bench guys in, in, in some of these playoff series here. But, um, yeah, I definitely think that he can provide that same type of value. You, you didn't want to say, like, a better Isaiah Joe, but could we say a more well-rounded yeah. version of Isaiah Joe, especially yep. if some of that mid-range and, and pull-up scoring uh, comes to fruition in the NBA like it did in college? Um, yeah, I, 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 can, I can definitely agree with that. I think if he turns out to be some kind of version of either one of those guys, then that's definitely – a valuable NBA guard and somebody who I think for, for up to this point, I would be really comfortable taking bones Highland with like an early second round pick. But again, if he ends up being like one of those guys and, and ends up especially more like shake, um, he, he could definitely be valued as a first round target that I'm assuming um, Simon that you have him as like a first round target on your board. I do. I have him um, 15th, 15th. I have him 15th. 15th. Yep. I love him. I think he's going to be fantastic. So that's kind of like a theme of some of the guys we're, we're talking about on this podcast. I wanted to have you on because everything I see you post on social media, you're kind of agreeing with some of the other scouts I see on there regarding valuing these combo type guards, these score first mentality guards who have proven that they can create their own shot. Um, yep. ISO, ISO yeah. scores. I love, I love ISO scores. 
And for good reason, because those are the types of guards that get shots, especially right now where we are in the playoffs. You kind of have to be able to to create your own shot one mm-hmm. way or another. Even if you're more of an off-ball threat, you need to be able to get open first and foremost. And when you catch the ball, you need to be able to get it up quick and in a hurry. And yeah, that's definitely something that Bones doesn't have any problem nope. with. Um, he he gets that shot off in a hurry, Does does not waste any motion. Um, in his mechanics again another guy who I wouldn't say gets too high up off the ground when he's shooting but with the way that he kind of arcs his shot and the way that he sets himself up to take it um, before he even ultimately releases and follows through he catches the ball and gets it up high quick so that Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to waste any motion he's able to get it off in a hurry so yeah definitely somebody who needs to be valued in this draft, whether you have him as like a first round guy, maybe he's even as high as you do, Simon, or you know, all the way going down to like the early second. Maybe you have him like me, you have him as like a priority second round target guy. Either way, he's definitely going to have a role and he's going to earn a job in the league. So um hats off to to Bones Highland. He's definitely gonna be a threat from from three point range coming in day one. And and if anyone's listened to this podcast before, you know I like guys who can come in and do at least one thing really well maybe even two things. And this draft is just chock full of guys who have one to two really solid translatable skills coming into the league. We're seeing a draft that's just as deep as last year's. And that's obviously exciting for us, but it should be exciting for all fans of basketball in general. Mm -hmm. I agree. So let's move on to another score first guard. And when I say score first, we got to put heavy emphasis on that in Cam Thomas. Um, the 6'4", 210-pound guard, freshman guard out of LSU. I haven't really shared too many thoughts about him on this podcast, mainly because if anyone out there also listens to Chuck's podcast, um, the Chucking Darts NBA podcast, he actually had me on as a guest, and we did a pretty good deep dive um, on on Cam Thomas because Chuck is absolutely in love with Cam. I think he still has him as like a lottery-level talent. Um, where where are you kind of at on on Cam Thomas, Simon? Talk to me about why you like him so much. So I currently have um, Cam Thomas ninth on my wow. Board because my mindset is give me give me the guy who can um, score twenty points, and then just all you all you got to do is just make him not not like a dumpster fire on defense. Just. He can just be, you know, adequate on the team defense, and then his offense will just be make up for it. Yeah, so and, and defense, I don't. This like, you know, this sounds kind of dumb, but I don't exactly care about um, defense too much, especially, especially for um, guards. Like, all you gotta do is is just be decent at at the team defense, and I think that's. That's basically the only thing I think about when it comes to um, guard defense. So there are encouraging statistics for Cam Thomas defensively by by the synergy numbers, and I definitely think that some of these improved. That that podcast I did with Chuck, that was roughly like midway through the college season, but I think that Cam definitely improved as the season went on defensively because I know for a fact some of these numbers got better, but we'll, we'll get into the offense. But while we're talking about defense, since you brought it up, Simon, so he defended well in play types where you would expect him to be involved in at the NBA level. And what I mean by that is obviously we know the NBA is a heavy pick and roll league, um, heavy in terms of running guys off screens, getting them open for jump shots. 
Thomas was in the 91st percentile defending um, in the pick and roll, defending ball handlers in the pick and roll. He was in the 87th percentile defending spot ups, the 87th percentile defending in post ups, and the 54th percentile defending in handoffs. Um, so essentially, actions that you'd expect there to be heavy screen usage involved. Um, he actually fared decently well when he was given the effort on the defensive end. Um, obviously, it gets a little hairy in terms of asking him to play within the team concept and, and guard consistent movement. Um, he was only in the 14th percentile defending off screens. But um, again, anyone who's listened to this podcast, they know that every single rookie struggles with defending off the ball coming into the NBA. It's, it's a speed of the game type of thing. Everybody needs to make adjustments when they come in, but can you give the effort to guard somebody one-on-one? -on -one? Can you not be completely lost if you get thrown in, in a pick and roll set. Um, and, and, and Cam can definitely hold himself well. He's a smart kid. He, he knows how to keep himself composed and have really good effort where it counts and, and, and play types that definitely matter in the NBA game. But getting into where his real value is offensively, he was in the 99th percentile um, as a pick and roll ball handler, 95th percentile off handoffs, 94th percentile off cuts, and the 84th percentile in spot-ups. So what those numbers say to me, Simon, and I'll let you commentate more, a little more in terms of what you think he's going to be able to do offensively right away at the next level, but those four metrics right there, um, tailor-made tailor already to come in and contribute offensively in the NBA. These are things, again, popular play types that he's going to be involved in, um, not necessarily the most complicated of play types outside of the pick-and-roll stuff, um, teams can draft him knowing they're going to be able to run him off screens, get him involved in handoff actions, and he's going to be a threat to score the ball as soon as he gets it. So that's definitely encouraging for any NBA team looking to bring him in and kind of plug him into a, a rotation right away for some instant offense. How do you kind of feel about Cam coming into the NBA from day one? So his, so this is the not a comp. So you know, the no one spaz out about it, but <laughs> but the way he just he creates um space and just gets the shots off, it it almost like the um like I I just freaking always think of Brad um Beal whenever um he does that he can just do the step back and get like four feet of four the feet of space, so that's. Oh, that's what this freaking always comes to mind whenever I watch uh, Cam Thomas. Well, if he ends up anything close to, to Brad Beal, then he absolutely needs to be valued yeah, and, as a moderate-level talent. And, yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to say he's going to be Beal. But just just the way he scores, it always looks like a Brad Beal to me. No, I see where you're going with, with um, e even throwing that name out there in terms of someone that Cam Thomas reminds you of because Brad Beal has turned himself into an incredibly crafty scoring guard. And that wasn't how he was initially viewed coming out of college. I think a lot of people had him um, on, a, on a pedestal and he was ultimately drafted third overall because of some promise that he offered down the road. And he's lived up to that promise. But he was initially thought of as someone who could definitely stretch the floor from the guard spot and primarily be like a catch-and-shoot three-point guy. Um, and, and nowadays, he's actually, in, in my opinion, he's better doing everything scoring off the bounce 
inside the arc and being just a, a crafty pull-up threat overall versus necessarily someone you want catching and shooting the ball from from three off those types of looks and, and, and doing catch and shoot threes like 10 times a game. You know what I mean? You definitely mm-hmm. want him to have the ball in his hands, taking somebody off the bounce and then kind of letting the defense dictate what he does to score the basketball. And to Cam Thomas's credit as well, we talked about this with Sharif Cooper, but Cam Thomas was another one who had an incredibly high free throw attempt rate per game, and he converted on 88% from the line. So that's just another way that he's going to be able to sort of dictate what the defense does with him. If they play too close to him, they play up on him. He's crafty enough to be able to draw that foul, get to the line. And sometimes with somebody like him who wasn't the most efficient shooter from the field in terms of percentage, you don't want to be giving him open shots necessarily because it can feed into his confidence. He's clearly a volume shooter, a volume shot maker. So the hotter he gets, the worse it's going to be for your defense. But at the same time, if you play too aggressively on him, he's going to figure that out and he's going to find ways to get to the line. And that's another way where if you're highly effective from the line, seeing that ball go through the hoop two, three, four times, if you've already gotten to the line that much, um, that also feeds into your confidence as a shot maker overall. So it, it, it's it's really tricky to, to to kind of game plan a defense around Cam because he can score in so many different ways. So you kind of look at him defensively. Well, how do you stop him? You can try and force him to take and make tough shots, but I mean, especially late in, in the tour in the SEC tournament and in the NCAA tournament, man, Simon, some of those shots that he was making. Oh. In some of those games, like the one-legged step back deep shots, I was just, just like beautiful. Oh, well, what, I loved it. What do you do with this right? guy? I'm like, what, what do you do with him? So I looked it up. Uh, Brad Beal shot 44, 33, and 77 on 10 shots um, per game. And Cam Thomas shot um, 40, 32, and um, 88 on 17 shots a game. So I think if like, like he only shot like 13 times uh, per game. I think he would have much better field goal efficiency. And really it's, yeah, it's like the only way that you stop Cam is like if he stops himself, like, like if mm-hmm. he gets a little too shot happy, he, he takes terrible shots um, and you're able to, to corral some rebounds off those kinds of misses. That's really the the only way that you're necessarily stopping him. But he's smart enough to pass out of a double team. And really the playmaking, that was something that Chuck really wanted to hit home when, when he had me on his podcast, was that Cam Thomas's playmaking at this point is underrated. Um, and that's true to an extent. Like He was in the 95th percentile in, in pick and roll sets, including passes. So clearly when, when you put him in a play type where he's forced to make a decision, either score or pass out depending on the kind of trap that a defense would throw at him he was able to get the ball away quick enough and efficiently to to the open man so when you throw that into it it's like damn what 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 do you do with him right like Mm -hmm. that that dangerous of an offensive player we can talk about any kind of defensive inefficiencies that he might have we can talk about his not he's not exactly like an explosive type athlete but Guys who just know how to play the game at a high level and they have so many different wrinkles in their scoring arsenal, generally yeah. they're able to figure it out. And the, the, the best upside with Cam is that when an NBA team brings him in and they have him running their offense and they're essentially getting him shots, 
that are much more higher quality than just giving him the ball at LSU, putting him on an island and telling him to do everything himself. He won't have yep. to do everything himself at the NBA level. So that's just that we keep we keep heaping praise on Cam, but honestly, for for good reason. He's another guy that I've really come around on, and and, and I agree with a lot of people um, in consensus that he needs to be valued very, very highly as an offensive machine, not necessarily just a score. And that only adds to his overall value. And Brad Beal averaged two um, assists in college and Cam Thomas is at 1.4. So not bad. I mean, semi um, similar. Not bad. And, and Brad, that's another thing. Brad Beal has essentially improved every single part of his game. Yep. Um, he, he, we know that he had that strong of a work ethic coming out of college, um, training with, with, with Drew Hanlon all of those years, and, and that's really taken form. And, and if Cam has that same mindset um, and that same work ethic, he wants to improve every single part of his game, wants to come back in an off, go to an offseason, pick one part of his game to improve at, come back the next year, show improvement, and kind of just keep repeating that process over like five, six years, you're, you will definitely have one of the more complete offensive players in the NBA, just given his pedigree, I mean, for for crying out loud, he set r- ridiculous scoring records at Oak Hill uh, as a yeah, high he was player. he's their all time the leading scorer in, and it only took him three seasons to do it. Yeah, that's like, that's insane. That, that's and stupid. I think I think that um, I saw that um, I think it was he won like uh, nine trophies while um, he was there. That's just insane so it, it, it i'll leave this as like a little bit of a, a preview or a teaser as to where i'm going to ultimately go with a tier system but let's say that cam thomas is is on a, a playoff team in the nba right mm-hmm. do you think he's one of the four best guys in a starting lineup down the line or do you think he's like that that fifth guy who maybe is like more of like a spot starter type guy kind of surviving as like that fifth guy in the rotation where, 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 where would you kind of see him fitting in and the kind of player that he might be down the road for an NBA team, given those two choices? Uh, I definitely think um, um, it could be a top four guy on offense. I mean, defense, definitely not, but yeah, offense, I think he could easily be a top four scorer. I, I agree. I, I honestly agree. And that's why he, he keeps moving up. In, in terms of where I would have him in, in like a tier system. And again, I'll be certainly talking about that in full on the podcast in the coming weeks when we, we get to that point. But yeah, he, he is only, he is only risen and who knows, he may continue to rise. I don't, I don't know if I will maybe value him <laughs> with like top 10 pick necessarily. I don't yeah. know if I'll get that far, but lottery level, like if you're sitting there like 11 to 14 range and he's on the board, like, he's incredibly enticing to to pick and, and bring in because of the value that he can give you from day one and then what he could ultimately grow into. Absolutely. So let's move into the, the last guard that we're going to talk about this week. Again, same exact vein, combo scoring guard, James Booknight out of UConn, 6'5", 190 pounds. He was listed at 19 points per game in college. Um, 45% from the field, only 29% from three. Um, the value that he brings really on offense, and there are plenty of of mixtapes and, and offensive highlights on YouTube that you can watch about him being able to create his own shot 
Um, really, his bread and butter is score, finding ways to score off the ball. Um, and that does bode well for him coming into the NBA because any of these young guards that we're talking about, an NBA team generally isn't going to, to give them the ball and just ask them to create for like 10, 15 shots per game right off the bat, right? They have to come in and learn how to play within a team context. And then eventually they'll get their reps and they'll get their, their greater opportunities, I guess we'll call it. Um, and, and book Knight's going to be able to come into the NBA and score in those off ball situations. He was in the 98th percentile in the country on cuts. He was in the 87th percentile on, on putbacks. So showing the effort, getting into the offensive glass um, and, and getting one of those ex extra possessions to convert for his team. Um, the 84th percentile in, in, in isolation, uh, we'll definitely touch on that, but the 82nd percentile on handoffs as well. So cuts, putbacks, handoffs, three play types where he doesn't have to start immediately with the ball in his hands um, and create something for himself to make an impact. He's making an impact um, definitely with his ability to see what's going on on all parts of the court, move at the right time, and get himself involved without having to dominate the ball. Um, Simon, you and I were talking before the podcast. The Heat book night might be the highest out of all of these guys on your board. Why don't you tell my audience where you have him? Uh, I currently have him seventh, right behind Jonathan uh, Kaminga and right in front of uh, Moses Moody. So that six to 10 range is definitely an interesting um, point for debate, especially on social media recently, in terms of where everybody kind of has and who everybody has in that grouping on their boards. But book night at seven, lay, lay out your case, make your case, Simon. Why would you value book night um, seventh on your board? So I think that he could um, easily be a 20 point per game scorer, but he, like um, you said, he is um, also just awesome off the ball. So he doesn't even um, have to be, you know, the high, the, the ball handler guy, he can just uh, play off somebody, like play off of Luka Doncic or, you know, something um, like that and still be a decent volume scorer. What kind of defensive value do you think that he brings? And I know that you're not necessarily as high on, on defensive intangibles with, with a guard like Booknight who can definitely be a scoring threat in, in a variety of different ways. But what, what kind of value do you think he brings on that end of the court? Because that, to me, I think is what's going to separate him as like a, a, a full-time, long-term starter in the league. If he can provide similar value to, to a player who I've kind of used as a comparison for him um, the, the last few years now, I really see him as like this potentially souped-up version of Gary Harris. That's kind of been my comparison for him. I think if a lot of that isolation scoring and some of that shot creation ability hits and he's able to create some of those similar looks that he did at UConn at the next level, then I think a souped up, a little more athletic Gary Harris is an apt comparison for him. But for all the things that Harris does in terms of offense, scoring off the ball, and in a lot of the same ways that Booknight actually does, he definitely brings value um, def defensively in, in the backcourt. So do you think that Booknight can have that similar uh, effect? So I see him as a Kevin um, Herter type um, defender, someone who isn't going to take, you know, the top guy, but could yep. also, you know, play the passing lanes, block shots, just, you know, uh, not be damaging on defense. 
Yeah, and 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 again, we see it with somebody like Book Knight as well. When when we've been talking about some of these guards, how do they fare defending in play types that we know are important to NBA teams? He was in the seventy third percentile defending in pick and rolls, sixty first percentile defending in spot ups, and fifty sixth percentile defending in isolations. So it's not like you you put him on an island or you put him in this pick and roll set like he's going to be lost and he doesn't know what's going on. He definitely knows how to at the very least keep the matchup kind of even. And he, he knows how to leverage some situations in his favor while not completely sinking a defense. So I agree. If he's able to add any sort of defensive value, then I definitely think he's a starter-level guard in the league. That, to me, is really going to be what separates him, along with his ability to knock down catch-and-shoot threes. That is going to be something that he has to improve on at the next level. And that was really one of his... Actually, to to be honest, other than some of the playmaking concerns, but I don't know, know if you're necessarily going to look at Book Knight to to make a bunch of plays for for others. But um, the shooting, he was in the 36th percentile shooting off screens and the 14th percentile overall on spot up. So those play types that generally end in a jump shot, he actually didn't rate out very well, and he was in the 28th percentile on all jumpers and the 11th percentile in catch and shoot. So those are pretty poor metrics for a, a guard who you would think you watch some of those highlights, you see some of the shots he creates. You're like, Oh my God, this guy's like a next level shot creator. He's going to be able to do all, all this, 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 and this off the bounce. Well, that wasn't necessarily rated out the same way in terms of efficiency. He wasn't always the most efficient on uh, in those types of looks. So it's definitely something that he, I think he needs to improve on. How do you feel Simon about his shot creation? I'm assuming you, you have to be high on him in that respect if you have him seventh on your board you're not quite as concerned as some of the numbers might lead you to believe so he shot 34 percent from deep uh last season and he shot 82 percent from the line so i think um his the shooting will definitely uh come along i mean i don't think he'll be like a 39 percent from deep type um shooter but i think he'll i don't think it'll be you know any sort of the negative and by the way, we 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 can talk about um, potential defensive impacts or lack thereof as well, or how much offensive value these guys are adding. All four guys that we've talked about today, they pretty much have player efficiency ratings of 23 or higher. Sharif was right there. It was like 22.9. That's close enough yeah. to 23 for me. So these are guys who found ways to impact their the game for their team at such a high level offensively that – if they're able to have that same impact in the NBA game, you kind of do live with whatever they're bringing to the table at times defensively, just as long as they're not getting burned every single possession, you know, then then that's definitely starter level value that they're bringing to the table. And if you're looking at all of these guys at starters as starter level players, at least some point down the line, then yeah, they need to be valued heavily in your evaluations and on your boards and you need to be looking at them. I mean, this this draft is so open, so fluid. There's so much talent that really like once you get past like that initial lottery wave of guys, you can make an argument for pretty much anybody like 15, 16 and on. Um, yeah. And I know that you're higher on some of these guys, um, Simon, that I might necessarily be at this particular moment in time having some of these guys like firmly entrenched in the middle of your lottery. But yeah, you, you can quite literally make a case for, for almost anybody um, in, in the middle to, to late first round, depending on what your team needs. And as we keep seeing in the playoffs here, 
the more of these guards that you have that can create their own shot and be effective in multiple ways offensively, whether it's making a play for somebody else or being able to create your own shot in a variety of ways, the better off your team's going to be in these deep playoff situations where everything's on the line, You're the other team's going to be playing tight defense on you. What allows you to separate and still put points on the board and not come up empty-handed on some of these possessions? So. That's why we wanted to talk about these guys. That's why they're going to be so highly valued in, in this year's draft. And I'm excited to see all of them draft. And I'm, I'm very curious to see where some of these guys go, particularly Sharif um, and definitely Cam Thomas. I'm going to be really interested to see where Cam Thomas goes. And Fall to the Hawks. Fall to the Hawks, please. Oh, I, I, man, I don't want to see that happen, though, because oh, me be being awesome. the Sixers guy that I am, you guys already have enough freaking perimeter scores <laughs> that we have to deal with. We give, give you one more. I mean, we're, we're really just tipping the scale in your favor at that point. But um, I think Trey Please. would love to play with somebody like Cam. Yep. A- a- absolutely. He'd be zipping cross-court passes to Cam all day long. And, and to your point, when we're talking about uh, when you're kind of agreeing with me that Cam's going to get higher quality shots in the league because he doesn't have to do everything by himself off the bounce. If you have a playmaker like Trey next to you, able to just zip a pass from wherever to 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 get you open for a shot. Like, yeah, Cam, Cam's definitely going to shoot better than 33% from, from three on those types of looks. I can guarantee you that. So may, maybe that is the best fit for him. I don't want to see it because <laughs> I want my Sixers to do well. But um, yeah, that that might be one of the better fits for him. But listen... Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. This was a blast. I'm glad that we finally got to talk about some of these guards. And I'll be very curious, like I said, to to revisit some of these cases and where I ultimately value them when I do some of the tier pods that are coming up later in the rotation as we move closer to draft time. But uh, where can everybody find you on, on social media, Simon? Where can everybody uh, see what you're doing? Uh, just um, Twitter at um, Hawks Draft uh, Nerd. And yeah, that's it. I mean, I just I just um, dropped my big board yesterday, I think. So yeah, I mean, that's it. Don't overthink Cam. That's all I have to say to leave this podcast. Don't overthink uh, Cam I think, Thomas. I think that's probably what you would say about all these guys in general, though. Yes, that's true. For, for yeah. a point, just don't 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 overthink. Don't these overthink it. Cards. Yep, absolutely. I agree, man. Well. Again, thank you everyone out there for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can find this show wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper. We are consistently having basketball conversations, whether you want to dump on one of my playoff takes, whether you want to argue with me about a prospect, I'm game for anything. I love talking to all you guys. It's what makes all of us smarter and better at evaluating and appreciating the game of basketball that we all love. So thank you all again for your wonderful support. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.